Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. Today I'm joined by guest Josh Lawler. Josh is the founder of the Film Shoot Rental Roadmap How to Rent Your Home Tax Free for Film Shoots, Photo Shoots, and Commercial Productions. Before he cracked the code to film shoot rental success, Josh experimented with various real estate ventures, including live and flips, single family rentals, small multifamily rentals, build to rent new construction, and short term vacation rentals. Film shoot rentals are by far his favorite real estate niche. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to talk about you know how someone can utilize their home for a film shoot. I think you know we've all driven around town. You see the lights. You see all the activity. And, you know, people get curious and they want to know what's being filmed or there's celebrities there. But today's show, we're going to look at that from a different angle, how you can utilize your home to generate income from a film shoot. How'd you get into this space? Thanks for that intro, Mark. So I, I think it's worth it's worth mentioning that, you know, film shoot rentals were not my initial foray into real estate. So it's, it's not like one day I decided, hey, I want to do something in real estate. Let me jump into film shoot rentals. Like you mentioned in the intro there. I've experimented in a number of different real estate niches, right? I, I think, um, and, and maybe, maybe worth just kind of talking through the, the real estate journey that, that led me to film shoot rentals, because I think, you know, that, that allows a sort of a, a perspective that I think, you know, many of your listeners who, who might also be investing in real estate will, will share as well. So, geez, uh, starting way back in 2014, uh, my wife and I bought a, uh, well, we bought the, the sort of an older house in 2009 kind of the, the ugliest house on, on the block, if you will, in a, in a nice neighborhood with the intention of doing a, a live-in flip. So we ended up, uh, we lived in the space for a couple of years, but then did a total gut renovation addition, created a lot of value and ultimately sold that house and kind of moved locally into a new, a new project uh, house that ended up being a teardown rebuild. And that's kind of where, where we are now. Um, along the way, uh, got into single family rentals investing remotely. So I'm based in the Northeast and, um, but I like the markets in the Southeast better. So picked up some single family rentals in the Atlanta market and the Jacksonville, Florida market, you know, have property management in place, just kind of went the turnkey investment route and picked those up in around 2016 timeframe. And so cash flow has been good, but more importantly, I've seen a lot of really, really good appreciation, obviously over this, uh, over this time period. I bring this up because I'm so I've got some you know experience with sort of traditional long term rentals, right? And there's cash flow, but you know it wasn't quite the the cash flow that I was you know kind of hoping for. You sort of you start out and you're thinking, okay, well I'm, I'm getting you know a few hundred bucks a month in cash flow. I just need X number of houses, and then and I'll be there. Easier said than done. Coming back to when we rebuilt the current house that we're living in. We were kind of interested in exploring, you know, opportunities, always looking for new opportunities within real estate. And, you know, we found out about film shoot rentals. So we were talking to some people, you know, read, read some articles about people who were, who were doing this. And we, we thought, this sounds interesting. We just built a house. Um, we thought, you know, let's, let's maybe test, uh, let's maybe test this out. And so 
I'll pause there for a second, but that's kind of the, you know, the, the journey. I think it's important to note that, you know, we didn't have any background, first of all, in the film industry, just had, you know, what I would consider kind of traditional, basic real estate investment experience and single family rentals. You know, I didn't mention we have some small, some small multifamily as well, like one to four units rentals uh, as well. So that's kind of how we, that was the, the journey leading up. So it was a number of years of traditional real estate investing before we got into film shoot rentals. And since then, have you focused solely on film shoot or has it kind of been, this is just like this little side way that we're utilizing and making income from it? Yeah. So we, we continue to hold the long-term rentals in addition. And that's one of the things about film shoot rentals. You know, I think there might be sort of people out there who sort of espouse one, one specific strategy over another and say, this is the strategy that you need to go all in on. I view film shoot rentals as really a, a complementary uh, strategy. Whatever else you're doing, you can also do film shoot rentals, particularly renting out your own house. If we have time, we can also talk about some of the benefits for short-term rental investors and how they can use film shoot rentals in their in their short-term investments as kind of a, a complementary approach, which is quite interesting. But just from a renting out your your primary home, uh, there are a lot of advantages. And so, yeah, to answer your question, you know. We continue to do continue to do both. So not not focused exclusively on film shoot rentals, but the benefits of film shoot rentals can help accelerate other real estate investments or, or any other investments that you're interested in for that matter. Can you take me through the process of kind of start to finish to like how do you as the homeowner find an opportunity or does the kind of the film find you? And then what does that look like going forward? Yeah, no, happy to happy to talk you through it. And I think it's it's also worth at this point to maybe just touching on some of the myths, right? When we hear film shoot rentals and what what we're really talking about. When most people hear film shoot rentals, the first thing they hear they think of is feature films. Okay. So, you know, the, the approach that I teach and the, the strategy that we follow, we're not shooting feature films in our house. So I think that that's important to, to get out of the way. If we're not shooting feature films, so what what sort of shoots are we doing? For the most part, uh, we are doing short-term, i.e., you know, one day, possibly two-day, commercial shoots, photo shoots, video shoots. And, you know, who are the people doing this if it's not feature films? Well, every business across the country has some sort of website. They've got social media presence. And they need to keep that content current, keep it fresh. And so most of our shoots are companies ranging from small startups launching a new website to well-established firms, you know, launching a new, a new product and anything in between, really. That's important to kind of just state and, and explain first. So you asked the question, how do you find it? My recommendation and the approach we followed is just like there's Airbnb for short-term rentals, there are you know, specific platforms out there that you can use to list your home. There are any number of, of platforms and the numbers have been growing in recent years, but there are a few things that you want to look for in a platform. First of all, location. You want a platform that's going to cover your location. Not all platforms cover everything. Some are very specific in terms of specific geographies. Plenty of free sites as well. And in my, and I've looked, I've tried the pay sites, but in my experience, the sites that are free to list are, are just, just as good. And actually I recommend them because we tend to get more, uh, more business through those free sites. I think you also want to look for sites that have pricing transparency. What do I mean by that? So, you know, you want to be able to set your rate transparently so that you're not wasting your time. Uh, I've tried sites where 
you don't really have that option. You get a lot of inquiries, you're on the phone, you're exchanging emails, and it's only after 20 minutes into a phone call where you learn that the budget is you know, well below what you're done. So pricing transparency is important. I think you also want to look for a platform that, if possible, allows what I call tiered pricing. Shoots come in all different sizes. We've done one-person shoots all the way up to about you know, 45-person shoots. So there's a pretty big range. And as you can imagine, the level of disruption varies. For the most part, it's a pretty straight-line relationship between number of people. Not always, but usually it's a pretty straight-line relationship between the number of people and the level of disruption in a shoot. I'm not talking about problematic disruption, but just disruption in terms of number of people moving around in the house and props and, and equipment and, and things like that. So you want to charge more for a larger shoot. And not all the platforms allow you to do that. Some of them do, some of them don't. You know, you also want to look for, is there insurance through the sites? So, you know, any property damage, the site will cover your insurance. Finally, what sort of fees do the platform take, right? What, what percentage of the fees? Usually there's some sort of split between the person hosting the location and the person renting the location, similar to what you'd see in a, uh, you know, a short-term rental bot like an Airbnb. First step, you want to take photos, professional photos. You want to list your home. And if you've ever done a rental on Airbnb, you, you kind of get a sense of the typical, there's a description, what amenities are listed, what sort of house rules, any restrictions, etc. So that's really my recommendation to work through the listing platforms as opposed to, say, a location scout. So another channel into this is working with location scouts. Location scouts have clients for whom they're working and they're sourcing locations. They're looking for locations for shoots. And in my experience, we've had less success with location scouts and sort of taken up more time in terms of visits and phone calls and, and emails versus people who find us directly on a listing platform and they're usually much quicker to make a decision and then move forward with less back and forth. Is, is it like, I guess, like basically everything else in real estate, location matters? So are there some locations in the country where you're more likely to get hits on your listing than, than other places? Great question. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought this up. And so I think this sort of speaks to another myth that, you know, kind of I hear a lot about. And, you know, the common belief is, well, I don't live near LA, so this, this isn't going to work for me. But if you think about it, businesses across and companies across the country, and even internationally for that matter, need to create content for their websites, for their marketing campaigns, for their social media. And businesses are located all across the country. What I've found is that it's really about the convenience of where does the decision maker live? The person who is paying for this marketing, paying for this production to happen, because they often want to come to, to watch. And so, you know, to answer your question, no, I, I don't think location... Uh, is a big driver location will determine maybe which shoots uh, you know, kind of are interested in your place. But you know, this isn't like a like a movie shoot that says, "Okay, we have to shoot in New York City because the movie is based in New York City." And and you know, if you go on the um, you know some of the popular platforms as well, you'll see locations listed all across the country from you know large cities small rural areas you know every every state and like i said even even internationally as well so a lot of the times it really comes down to just either where is the company and then the other angle is 
where is the production crew base? Because sometimes we've, we've had it both ways. We've had instances where the owner of a company was based within an hour drive from where we're located, but they were working with a crew and the entire crew flew out from a different part of the country and vice versa. We've had experiences where, you know, we once did a shoot for a company that was based in the Pacific Northwest. And so, you know, the owner of the company flew across the country to us for the shoot, but he was working with a local production company. It's really a kind of a logistical convenience of either where the company is or where the crew is, is based. You mentioned um, disruption. I guess that could mean various things. But you also mentioned that these are usually short-term shoots, where it's maybe one day, two days, so the level of disruption is kind of contained. But is it the disruption like, all right, I'm going to leave for work at 8 o'clock, I'm going to come back at 5, and it's all going to be done, and I'm going to go on my way? Or if it's a two-day one, do I have to go find a hotel for two days and then hope that they're done in, in two days? It's a great question. So I think the first point I'll make is, as I mentioned, yes, vast majority of our shoots are one-day shoots. The typical, what I'll call a professional shoot, because we have had early in the early days unprofessional shoots, and we can, we can certainly get into that. Um, but the professional shoot is, is typically a full-day shoot. Could be a 10- to 12-hour shoot, typically, I would say, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or even 8 a.m. to, to 8 p.m. at the, the longest. In terms of disruption, first of all, I would recommend that someone remains in the house. And, and that's actually one of the benefits, right? Like, so unlike an Airbnb where you're vacating the, the property, if you're, if you're renting it out, first of all, you can stay in the house during the shoot. And I actually recommend that someone stay in the house just to answer any questions that, that come along. So this is great for people. If you are, you know, a remote worker you can easily be working in your home office and a shoot can be going on in, a, in another room. Level of disruption that we're talking about, I would say that the busiest time of the shoot is the load-in period. So the, the morning, you know, there's just a lot of in and out, loading in equipment, loading in any any props, et cetera, that's being, that are being used in the shoot. Uh, and then at the end of the day, load out uh, when people are kind of leaving the house as well. But once the shoot gets underway, if you've got a professional producer, professional director, they typically run quite smoothly. Um, and I mentioned before that relationship between number of people and disruption Sometimes, paradoxically, I even find like the larger shoots are just really well run because they have to be. Everything is planned out, the whole schedule for the day to, you know, okay, where are the people who aren't actively involved going to sort of hang out while they're waiting? Where are they going to eat lunch, et cetera? Level of disruption is certainly manageable. And I'll just touch on your second part of your question in terms of, you know, a two-day, a multi-day shoot. We do do multi-day shoots occasionally. Most of the time, it's a two-day shoot. The longest shoot we ever did was five days. On that shoot, we actually did get a hotel room only because there was a lot of equipment. Some two-day shoots, we haven't gotten a hotel room because there just hasn't been that much equipment or the crew has put things away at the end of day one and then come, come back on day two as if they're sort of setting up for a new, a new shoot again. The economics of it works. So it's obviously a personal decision if you are going to leave your house during a multi-day shoot, which again, I, in my experience, are less common. But you know, again, if you're making thousands of dollars in a day per day for a shoot, it's worth spending a couple hundred bucks for a hotel room. You, you mentioned insurance and some of these listing sites actually yep. provide some type of insurance. Do people, in addition to that, have to get some rider or some different type of insurance on their, on their house to do this? My recommendation is you want to make sure that the crews have insurance to cover any kind of issue. One of the things that people need to think about too is um, local regulations. And I bring this up. So for example, our town and most towns have some sort of film permitting process. 
So, and this is this is really just to you know, a make sure that you know everything is above board and and safe. So you know, we're not no explosions are are setting off right, and and that disruption to the neighborhood and the community will be minimal as as well. Um, as part of the permitting process, typically the town will require evidence that the crew that the production company has sufficient insurance. So typically, you know, you'll you'll sort of see insurance through that for issues. And like I said, the sites also have varying levels of property damage insurance as well. It's worth touching on that because I think this is something that people worry about, like, hey, what happens if there's a there's a problem in my house? So look, I'll say, first of all, we've never experienced any kind of, you know, major, major damage. Probably the, you know, the worst uh, that we've experienced is just little guffs and dings on the walls here and there uh, for a crew that's, you know, maybe not as careful moving equipment. Most scuffs from equipment rubbing against the wall come right off with a magic eraser you know other times a little bit of paint touch up to touch up a a scratch on the on the wall so i would say certainly nothing nothing major that we found and you know the other thing i'll mention too is that again you know most of the professional crews and this is always part of my screening process i always ask to say okay what what kind of what kind of floor and wall protection are you going to bring in? And, and most crews are most professional crews are used to are used to that, and they'll have you know a couple of people on crew whose sole job it is to lay down the floor protection, lay down you know lay put up any wall protection and stairwells, for example, that that kind of thing. So there are ways to certainly mitigate the risk of any damages and any and any wear and tear. But um, you know, obviously, we're we're still doing this, and uh, you know it. it hasn't really been an issue for us. You mentioned like a screening process. Do you ever turn down a shoot um, just for whatever reason? Yeah. So um, it's a good question. So the, the screening process that we have, it's sort of a set of, and I, I share this in the in the course that I teach as well. Um, and it's kind of, it's evolved over time and I've learned kind of the, the hard way, right? At the early days, you know, we were just sort of excited to have people come in and, and interest. But over time, I've learned to screen in, in such a way really just to make sure it's a professional shoot. And and there are ways to do this by setting certain constraints as well. Initially, we didn't have any kind of minimum number of hours. So I think by setting a minimum number of hours, you're going to lose out on some business, right? There are a lot of people out there early on in our film shoot rental journey. We had a lot of people, you know, saying, hey, I just need your place for an hour and a half. And pro tip for everyone listening, it usually takes at least an hour to set up and at least another hour to clean up. So anyone who's asking for an hour and a half, red flag, and I would I would stay away. So simply by setting that minimum number of hours, you're going to screen out a lot of problematic tenant. I think also, you know, you want to avoid underpricing your location. You may think like, oh, you know, I don't want to charge too much or that's, you know, but by charging, you know, kind of a, a solid, well, I'll call it a market, market rates and you know, we can talk about sort of how, how do you set your rate? Because our rate is certainly, we initially set our rate too low and we're inundated with inquiries when we first started. Just like other, you know, anyone who invests in real estate, you'll find, you know, the level of quality of tenant will typically go, go up with sort of higher higher rents and sort of, you know, low low rents. The quality of tenant that you're going to get is, is not great. So just by setting those constraints of minimum hours, ensuring your price appropriately are going to screen out a lot of problematic tenants. I'd say another red flag is, Someone who doesn't want to go through the town permitting process. Again, you want to be above board. Uh, professional crews are used to dealing with municipalities, used to dealing with towns. They no problem filling out the film permit application and whatever the local town permit fee is that, that they're going to be covering. So 
anyone who kind of balks at that uh, is a is a red flag for me. I'll also say, um, you know, in terms of screening, you don't have to rent out your entire house. So it's really up to you in terms of which rooms you're interested in in renting. And so, you know, if someone comes and says, oh, I'm going to be, I want to sort of use use this room that's, you know, we have a couple off-limit spaces in, in our house. So my you know, older daughter's bedroom is one and my home office is another room. So if someone wants to rent or use spaces that are off-limits, sort of turn down, politely decline those shoots. And I think, you know, other shoots that want to uh, shoot sort of outside of our town rules. So our town, for example, has certain hours during the week that they allow shooting. If a shoot wants to shoot outside of that, I, you know, typically politely decline that as well. So those are some of the sort of aspects of screening that help us decide sort of who to accept and and who not to accept. You mentioned like off limits and some spaces off limits. Do you see people actually even taking it a step further and using like a short term rental or an Airbnb, you know, as, as what they're offering for this. So that way they don't even have to worry, like everything's and you can use every, all spaces of the house. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of short term rental investors aren't really aware of this. Film shoot rentals can be a real good complement for short-term rental investors. And, and if you think about it, one of the reasons why this is complimentary is your typical short-term rental or vacation rental, you're getting weekend bookings, right? People are going away for uh, the weekend or maybe a long weekend. Most shoots take place during the week. So it's a really a way to complement and kind of you know add value to an existing asset that you have if you are a short-term rental investor. And I'll also add, when you haven't really talked about this yet, but interestingly, the economics of film shoot rentals, I think are even more advantageous than short-term rentals in a way. If you think about the spectrum of real estate, typically the longer term the lease, the lower the overall rent. We know that a, a nightly rate on an Airbnb, even at a respectable occupancy rate, is going to yield more profit than a, you know the same property on a traditional 12-month lease. Film shoot rentals takes that even further because the rates that you're setting are hourly rates. And again, this is another reason why we set a sort of a minimum number of hours per day to make it worth our while. You know, the short-term rental investor who might be charging $300 a night could probably charge $300 an hour for a film shoot rental. We haven't even talked about the tax benefits, but for a primary residence, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the Augusta rule. For those that aren't, not a tax professional, but, you know, roughly speaking, you can rent your property for up to 14 days without paying taxes, right? Kind of a leftover from the um, the Augusta, the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, and the local residents wanted to rent out their homes during the tournament for a couple of weeks and lobbied Congress to sort of create this law, which is now applies to everyone. You know, my wife and I have kind of landed on, we limit our rental days to no more than 14 days a year. And we do that by kind of calibrating our pricing in terms of adjusting the, the demand so that all of our film shoot rental income on our primary residence is tax-free for the year because we don't exceed 14 days. Obviously, as a short-term rental investor, you're going to be renting for you know in excess of 14 days, but it's still, I think, a nice complement that all short-term rental investors should, should consider. They already have the pictures. They've already got the setup. And yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great opportunity for uh, short-term rental investors. What's the most you've ever made from a shoot or that you've heard of someone making from a shoot? Yeah, so I'll share my personal experiences. So uh, the most we ever made from a one-day shoot was just over eleven thousand dollars. That was again the most. You know, our typical shoot is closer to the six seven thousand dollar range for a day. 
But that shoot was, the reason that was a little more is because first of all, it was a larger shoot. We talked about the tiered pricing. So our early rate was higher based on the number of people. So that, that was kind of a big, about a 45 person shoot. And then they needed overtime as well. And so overtime, you can charge time and a half. Overtime is not something to worry about. It's It can be advantageous. And I think it's worth just sort of building into your schedule so you're not scheduling something immediately to start or you have to be somewhere immediately at the end of a shoot. In this case, the renters simply just a few hours before the end time, they, they said, hey, Josh, you know, like, looks like we're going to need some more time. Is that okay? We agreed. And it was very seamless. So yeah, that was a little over 11,000. And remember, because we kept our annual number of shoots to within 14 days, that's like the pre-tax equivalent of closer to you know 15,000. You can start to do the math here. And for people who are looking to get into real estate, you know, a few of the things that often hold people back are the down payment, right? Coming up with the capital to, to invest. You already have the asset, your, your home. You don't need to save for a down payment. Um, and you can, you can start right away. There's no lengthy underwriting process that you have to go through. And so, yeah, and it's a very low, low risk and flexible, right? So you determine if you only want to do shoots on, you know, Thursdays and Fridays, that, that's what you set up on your, on your listing. This is when it's available. If you only want to allow shoots on the first floor of your house and all the second floors up there, that's fine too. A lot of flexibility, low risk, and high potential for, for profit. And even you know, if you sort of limit the number of days to 14, you know, even tax-free profit as well. And you know, obviously, you can do whatever you want with this money, but if you're interested in other real estate strategies, this is a way to, I think, accelerate, you know, that real estate investment journey that, uh, and strategy that you might have for other areas as well. Does the company or person that's doing the shoot, what's their screening process look like? Do they just book it off of your pictures and kind of a conversation or do they actually come and scope out the place before they decide, yes, this, this is one fits? It depends. So we've had some production companies that make decisions very quickly. They see the pictures, quick phone conversation, maybe they have one or two questions and they book it and that's it. Other, I would say more traditional production companies like to do do what's called a, low, uh, a scouting visit. A small number of people from the crew, typically the maybe the producer, the director, one or two other people come to your house for you know half an hour or maybe an hour max, look around, make sure the pictures are you know as the, the real space looks like the pictures, check out the lighting, maybe use it to plan some scenes. And then that helps them to, to make the decision as well. But the listing platforms, similar to many platforms that are out there, have reviews and ratings. So they can obviously look at your, you know, they can read reviews from other people who have rented from you as a, as a way to check. They can kind of talk, they can go back and forth on, on questions. It really varies from sort of quick decisions to more extensive, you know, let's have a longer conversation with a lot of questions, depending on the personalities of the people involved, I would say. For pricing, do you see something like comps or do you kind of just look at, okay, my I could rent this. I'm in this part of the, of the country. I could rent it for this and we're going to do this multiple. Yeah. So I, I definitely cover pricing strategies in the, in the course. And this is something that we've kind of, our thinking on this has evolved over time. So when we first started, uh, we had no idea <laughs> what to price at. And we, we definitely underpriced. And as I mentioned, that was evident by the fact that we were just within, you know, hours of posting our first listing, we were inundated with inquiries from people asking to, so, okay, maybe we need to adjust this. So just at a high level, without getting into all the details, what you want to do is you really want to look at other locations in your area, see what their 
pricing. Look for homes that sort of appear to be comparable. And that provides a good sort of first estimate of sort of the range of where you should be. You can certainly experiment a little bit. You know, I've found that as long as you're within the range and not, you know, some outlier, the budget is less of a concern. It's more about the look of the house, the, the requirements. And, you know, it's, it's actually worth touching on to another sort of common myth that people often think when they think film shoot rentals is that, oh, I have to have some, you know, amazing house. It's got to like be perfect in every way. Every shoot has unique requirements. So talk about sort of the right pricing. It really comes down to more about does the location have the look that the project is is going for or or not? And then so long as you're priced appropriately within that, it typically works. Cool. Thanks, Josh. We're just about out of time. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me today. You gave some great info on what potentially could be a, a new real estate investing niche for our listeners. How best can someone find out more about the course that you teach and um, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, I think the best place to go is uh, filmshootrentals.com. That's the site. You can you can learn more about the course. Uh, you can contact infos there. You can you can reach me at josh at filmshootrentals.com. And yeah, this is great. Thanks. Great. We'll include all that in the show notes. Thanks again, Josh. And thank you, everyone who uh, tuned in today. Don't forget to follow the Agent of Wealth on the platform you listen from and leave us a review of the show. We're currently accepting new clients, and if you'd like to schedule a one-on-one consultation with our advisors, please do so at boutisfinancial.com backslash call. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.